Okay, we got some we got some opening up and some emoting to do. This is Valentine's Day. Shouldn't we shouldn't we talk squishy? Right? That's chocolate. I'm learning sign language. This is chocolate in sign language. Um, no, I'm, I didn't make that up. Where's it? Bacon? Bacon? Two fingers? Bacon? See, I was right. Um, yeah, we're learning. So our whole staff has been learning sign language for a while now. So one of the um, one of the ladies that come that's uh, part of our deaf community is Natalie, and she's been teaching us for I guess for three or four months now. Um, and and for a few reasons, we do have a growing deaf community, but but also uh, Richard that works in the office, um, his wife is deaf, and so it makes it easier for us to communicate with her, and he gets better at this too. Um, I, I think he probably. Uh, I mean, you can always learn more, right? So, so he's doing this. So, yeah, we're all learning sign language. It's, um, it's, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, here is, I got some questions. You guys don't have to open up. You don't have to talk about these things, but I think it's good that if you do, okay? And here's my suggestion, all right? Don't over-spiritualize these answers, you, I've talked to you guys about this before, right? You know what I mean. You have the um, you have the uh, in church on Wednesday night answers, and then you have Tuesday morning at work at the break room answers. Okay, hopefully those are still pure and godly, but um, but we we spin it a little bit and we put a little uh, spiritual spin on it, right? And so don't do that. Just really think to yourself and answer the questions um, as best as you can from from this. Okay, so. <clears throat> First one. What is your your um, favorite Valentine's Day memory? Kara. I like to I like to pick on him about it now, but. The day before Valentine's Day, quite a few years ago, Daniel actually broke up with me. Nice. And so every Valentine's Day since then, he's actually done pretty good. We're not like huge soul, like we don't go out and do things, but he normally cooks a pretty good meal, has some pretty good dessert and things like that. So he's def- he definitely makes up for it. Did you know one of the most common days for a guy to break up with a girl is the day before Valentine's Day? I'm not making this up. Do you know why? Daniel, why don't you share why you broke up with it? Because I never celebrated the day, and I didn't actually know it was the day before. Yeah, that's a, that's a dumb I, that's. That is the truth. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but uh, that's, that doesn't fit the narrative. For so. sake of argument, I just agree with him. Okay, right. Do you, do you know why guys break up with girls the day before Valentine's Day? What? 
That's kind of part of it, actually, yes. That's no, but that's that's noteworthy. <clears throat> Some of you single guys are like, because um, they don't. There's too much pressure, and they don't want to buy a gift or do the wrong thing or so. And if they were thinking about it anyway, just break up with them, right? So that was okay. So that was your that was your favorite Valentine's Day memory. Okay, all right, whatever. Okay. It can't get much worse than that, so. <laughs> Anybody else favorite Valentine's Day memory? Who, somebody back there? Russell? So our first, we got married in December, and so the first Valentine's Day was a couple of months after we got married. So our church had a sweetheart's dinner. So we were poor. And so we got to take all the leftovers home from the dinner. So it very, and we were voted sweethearts at oh, church. That's cool. So my first church I was ever youth pastor at, they hired me when I was 19. And, uh, and then I actually moved there a few weeks later when I turned 20, after I turned 20. And I was there by myself. Linda and I, we got engaged um, right after, right before I moved there. I knew I was going there, and I knew, okay, this is my direction of my life, so we actually got engaged. And um, plus, I didn't want her thinking she was free, you know, on the other side of Texas. But I spent the first um, six months or so by myself there before we got married, I guess maybe four or five months. But um, I, I survived on leftovers of potlucks. I didn't make any money. I, I made $200 a week. That's every, there was no benefit. Somebody asked me, would you have health insurance? What was health insurance? I don't even know. $200 a week total. That was it. And so every time they would have a dinner, people would just pack up. They would have a big walk-in freezer, I mean, a big uh, industrial freezer, refrigerator thing, and, and I'd just eat them that all week long. It was great. I didn't mind it at all. I didn't feel like I was being persecuted. I was like, this is the greatest of life right there. Um, Suzanne? So I think it was our first Valentine's Day, and we went to a restaurant, and we were holding hands, which, but then the waitress came over, and she said, hardly anybody ever holds hands on Valentine's Day, and I feel really good about seeing you guys do that. I was just so... <laughs> anybody else? Favorite Valentine's Day memory? No one else? Nothing? Um, <clears throat> I've asked these questions like this for years and years. You know what I find when it comes to a theme with favorite Valentine's Day memories? Anybody got a guess? What's kind of a consistent theme? There's, there's four or five I've seen over the years. What's one of the consistent themes? Okay. <laughs> you would hope it's love, although with Daniel and Kara it was not. So. so here's one of the themes that I've noticed. 
is um, it's one of your first Valentines that you remember the most. Not that you remember the most, but sticks in your head the most. <clears throat> I've, I've seen this in a lot of different avenues, not just in like romance or, or marriage or those kind of things, but it's, it's when life is much more simple that uh, we become nostalgic about it. When at the time, when at the time you really wish things could be so much better, right? Uh, when, when my kids were little, I, 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 I pastored a small church. I mean, we were youth pastors when Jonathan and Isaac were born, but then Emily came along, we were pastoring a small church. Man, I was working a couple extra jobs. I, mean, I was making no money. Literally just trying to get food on the table. That was a major thing. I know people say that. I hear people talk about that. Boy, it's, it's hard to, you know, pay all the bills and do all this. I, I mean, literally, we didn't have anything in the, in the kitchen. There was no food in the cabinets and refrigerator and stuff like that. And we would just go week to week trying to figure out how to do that. And I was working two or three extra jobs while I was trying to pastor a little church. And, but, you know, I look back at some of those times, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. But the kids just little. You know, you just, you just played little kid games. I do that with my grandkids now, and it and makes me remember how much I miss my kids being at home as little kids. Right? You don't think about that until they're 30, and you're like, I would like to spend, not a long time, but I would like to spend maybe a couple days with my kids when they were like four, five, six. A couple days, and I'd probably be enough. But uh, things like that, you know. There's a, and my kids, they have memories too that are, Look back and you realize all three of the kids remember the same event, complete different aspects of the same event. It's all the same event. They got the same details, but they remember it differently because of who did what and who said what and, and uh, where mom and dad were and which one talked to them this way or said something or hugged them or um, just those kind of things. Uh, my, my favorite um, Valentine's Day with Linda and I is, which, is, which is my favorite, okay? I'm not saying like there was, there was other people. But my favorite Valentine's Day ever. Um, I, um, so I'm not really uh, a Western kind of person, right? I'm not really, I, don't really listen, I don't listen to country music and I don't do all that stuff. But Linda grew up that way. She grew up wearing cowboy boots and, and um, cowboy hats and... And uh, what were those jeans, Colorado jeans? Was that, was that a thing? Is that something? Am I remembering that right? Not Wranglers. They were a different brand. This was in the 80s. I remember what they looked like. But that's none of your business. But, um, and so I, we got to, um, <clears throat> we got to the college, finally got to the same college, same time. And, um, and I, I went around to all my friends on the, the floor that I lived on that were similar enough to my size, and I borrowed Western stuff from all of them. Cowboy hat, boots, um, big belt buckle. Those are very uncomfortable. Um, I, I went and had my shirt, because I had seen this. It wasn't my style, but I would seen this. I had my shirt starched, and um, then I took Linda to a uh, 
big Western uh, restaurant that has live country music and dancing and all that stuff, and and um, and w- which we would have been in trouble at that time because I was I was going to a Bible school that you couldn't go to movies, you couldn't dance, you couldn't do any of that stuff. We would have been in, we could have been in, in big trouble at the school if they had known we'd gone to the. It was just a restaurant, but that's how it was back in the day, and so. Um, and I knew, I knew I had done well. She, she's, she's waiting out in the lobby. Our, we were on opposite sides of this big dorm, girl's side, guy's side. And she was waiting out there, and I walked out, and she said, oh, my. And I thought, it's going to be a good night. <laughs> and it was. So, <clears throat> all right. The, and this one, okay, so... So if your spouse is sitting in the room with you, spouse, please don't affect their answer. Okay? Let's be mature. Let's not affect their answer. I want to hear from you guys the most romantic... Everybody okay out there? The most romantic you have ever been. You say, I, I did good. Kind of like what I was just saying. I, I felt like that was a pretty romantic thing. I did, right? Um, if you, and if Linda was here and you asked her, what does she think the most romantic thing I did? She may not have said that story. I don't know for sure, right? But you say, this is the most romantic thing I've ever done. Why are you guys so scared to... To talk. Brandon, thank you for being mature and stepping up. You're very welcome. So it was actually my proposal to Aspen, and from there I just kind of gave up. But um, <coughs> Good job. So when I proposed to her, I was working for the city of Manitou, and I was in charge of hanging all the Christmas lights in town. So spent months putting up lights, you know, got it all pretty. And then one night we got a big snowstorm said, hey, let's go for a walk. We lived in a little tiny guest cottage up by Miramont Castle, kind of up on the hill. So we bundled up and went walking, and we walked down to, was it Shoshone Springs, I think? Yeah, Shoshone Springs, one of the springs there in Manitou. And I was very proud of it because the way it looked, so let's go check this out. So she was up, you know, down there admiring the lights and stuff, and I waited for that perfect time for her to, like, turn her back and then got the ring out which was a ring that she picked out, but she had no idea she picked it out because she, her mom and I were in cahoots. But she turned around, and then I proposed to her. Your mom and her had cooties? Yes. Still do. What did you uh, say? Cahoots. Oh, that makes more sense. She yeah. called me, and she's like, hey, if you're going to propose, this is the ring she wants. So I had some insider information. But, gosh, I still don't know how to hold this mic. Is this better? Yeah. (laughs) That's perfect, actually. But anyway, stop. Stop being unromantic. And so that's probably the most romantic thing (laughs) I did was when I proposed to her. I mean, I've done a few things along the way, but that one sticks out in our minds. So next. Who's next? Liz? Liz? Josh told me not to embarrass him. I'll embarrass him just a little. 
Um, so our last week before we got <coughs> married, I made him this scrapbook that had um, like we used to go to like the movies a lot and different things. So it had like uh, stubs from all of our movie tickets and like different pictures when we had started dating until then. <laughs> And like little quotes and then like some empty pages of like, let's fill the rest of the pages. We never did. But um, it was the thought that counted and Josh cried and it was really sweet. And it was cute. Are you going to share one now? One time I cleaned out the garage so she put her car in there. So I made a, this is uh, right before we got married, and had Christy over, I made a heart-shaped pizza, cooked it, I think I undercooked it a little bit, and, um, and then after, she did eat a portion of it, and then after, I thought it was romantic, after the meal, she said, I'll take it from here, so, <laughs> so I do the dishes now. So when we were at this uh, same school, this Christian university, Linda came in and decorated my whole room one day. She didn't because she, she wouldn't have been allowed down the hall, but she had a bunch of guys do it or something, which made me a little uncomfortable after I found that out, you know. But <laughs> she put all kinds of stuff, balloons and, and, and all kinds of things. And so the other half of that story is she, she didn't know this. I saved all that stuff, and um, I still have it right now. And about 10 years ago, I think when we were moving here, I'd, I'd never thought about the fact she didn't know I had all that stuff. And I have a bunch of letters that she wrote me in college, um, cards over the years, all kinds of stuff. I had a big old file of this stuff. When we were moving here, she saw that. And she's like, what's all that? And she starts opening, going through it. And it's the stuff that I have. I, I, it wasn't like I was keeping it a secret from her. It was just always in my office file, file cabinets. And um, I still have it. Somebody back there, Aspen and then Rick. All right. Um, since we're going with the garage clean out, he works hard jobs cutting trees and stuff. So he comes home, usually showers. And I was happened to be making <laughs> bacon and eggs and sausage and stuff for dinner that night. So he was in the shower, and I brought him shower bacon. And he said that was the most romantic thing he's ever had. <laughs> I do have to admit I've also had shower bacon. She, Linda knows me. That'll, I mean, I love showers. They're already my favorite thing. But bacon also. Yeah, she brought me a ham sandwich one time in the shower. No, this is beautiful. Yeah, you just hold it over here. It ain't that hard. Rick? I don't know what day you would say that I've ever done, but uh, whenever I would go for deployment, she would stash, she had these little uh, index cards that were like one inch by two inch type things, and she would write on them and, and stash those throughout my baggage. And so I'd get to wherever I was deploying to and start pulling things out, and these things would fall all over the place. 
I still got, I think, most of them that you did. Yeah, that's cool. Those are, those man, those can be timely in those downrange mentalities. Yeah, Linda does that stuff for me now, going to the Capitol. I'll open my bag, and there'll be a Post-it note stuck to one of the, like, she knows I'm going to read that bill that day, and I've got the paperwork, and it'll be stuck in the middle of it. You know, and I'm up there at the well, and I open the page, and there's a note from Linda. It's uh, very, very nice, very comforting. Is that Michael? That's Michael, yeah. So, so I had already proposed to Karen. She'd already said yes. We picked out the ring and its service merchandise and put it on uh, layway. And so I was able to um, pay it off early, unexpected, and um, on Valentine's made a um, called up her work and got permission to come over. She worked at a bank. Got permission to come over during lunchtime. Came, I came over with four guys from my work. They played, a, they uh, and they all played kazoo, and I sang for her uh, with them playing kazoo. Everybody had on white shirts and little red cummerbund or little red armband things and little red hats. I bought for everybody. Um, then we had, I gave, uh, and, I, and then I proposed again, and she said yes the second time, which is great. Uh, I gave everybody in her office one of those. Um, uh, candy rings, the big giant candy rings so that everybody got a ring. And so, um, yeah, so we did that on Valentine's at her office for in front of everybody. So Very nice. Very nice. <clears throat> I also had been um, tricked into buying the ring of Linda's Choice. It was a jewelry wholesaler that went to her dad's church. And I told him, I said, hey, can I come out sometime and look at rings? He's like, sure. So he called Linda and said, come look and pick out the one you want. I'll make sure you get that one. <laughs> and our mother went with her, too. And Because um, back in those days, I know nowadays everybody goes together. The couples go together and pick rings. Back in my day, you didn't do that, right? Guys, you didn't take her with you to get the ring. You went and picked out what she needed, <laughs> what you could afford. And, uh, but she had already arranged it, and I went, and I was looking at him. He kept saying, oh, this one looks really, you know, I can give you a really special deal on this one. I was like, sweet, I'll take it. But I had to sell uh, my bass guitar to buy that ring. I'm a musician. You don't know how deeply that stings. I have a, I have a philosophy. My kids know this. You never sell musical instruments. If you need a new one, you get a new one. You don't sell the old ones, right? Same thing with guns, by the way. You don't sell guns. You just get new ones. <laughs> One of you guys, Brick? Is it? Just one of the things I've done many times, I guess, over the years, besides getting the flowers and the cards and stuff like that, I would get stickers and, you know, be my Valentine's, things like that, and stick it around. And probably one of the big things I'd do is get a big or a big bag of uh, Keith candy bars, the little little bars, and I would take those and hide them, I guess, all over the house in her, her pants or shoes or in her Bible and stuff like that. You know, I have some of them out. So as the days went on and stuff, after Valentine's, she would always say, oh, here's another one of her favorite candy bars and stuff and pull that out. And so that always used to be fun, and she'd like that, and you always get that little surprise. Oh, I got another one of my candy bars. That's a great idea. If this thing don't work out with her, give me a call. <laughs> okay, got another question. 
Okay? Greatest love story, if you can tell it shortly, greatest love story you've ever heard of. We're, we're obviously going to get to that, but let's not, we, we, let's, we'll get to that, but I'm saying non-Jesus, greatest love story. <laughs> you should get out more. I had uh, just gotten to Germany, stationed at a, in the infantry unit there, when a soldier came to me and says, you know, we're having troubles and we're ready to walk away. And we talked with them, dealt with some things and whatnot, and now 22 years later of me talking to them, they are stronger and, uh, and doing well, happily married, just uh, in spite of all the combat that he saw, they're doing really well. And to me, that is uh, an amazing love story. So for me, this isn't really a story. It's, it was more of a life journey. But when I would watch my grandparents, my dad's parents, they were always at each other, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, but when they would sit around and, and, and just talk about when they met and those kind of things, I remember as a kid thinking, I want it to be like that. I want to... Now, they were really, really old. They were probably in their 60s at that time. <laughs> but when you're like seven, that's old, right? They're like approaching death as they speak. And they both, they both lived to late 80s, early 90s. But, but um, I, I just remember they would, they would sit and my grandfather would look at my grandmother and they would talk. And, and I, knew they were, I knew they were like, giving each other the, you know, looks and stuff. But I didn't know for sure what that meant. <laughs> I just knew this was romantic looking. And, but I always remember thinking to myself, I want to I look at my wife like that. I want to I look at the woman I spend 150 years with. I want to I look at her like they, those two people looked at each other. I didn't see that in a lot of people in my world. But I saw it in those two. Um, and they were always, like, like, for me, very uncomfortably frisky. You know what I'm saying? So that added to it. But, but um, which as a kid even, I was like, I don't really know why they're like this, but I think I like that too, you know. But, and then later I realized why they were like that. So. Favorite love story. Maybe, say that again. I can't hear you, Aspen. My children being born and falling in love with them, each one of them individually over and over again. Yeah, that's cool. It's a little cheesy, but it's cool. 80. Hello. Hello. I, I, you know, I think of my, my, my parents. You know, both of their mothers died when they were babies. And then 
they, my mother always wanted the feeling of security. My father provided that. They got married very young. And my father never really had a home. And my mother provided a home for him. So they were a good match for that. And she never had to work. I don't recall her ever pumping gas in the car. He always took care of that. They never divorced. They talked about divorce. Um, it was They just didn't do it. And he, showed, he took her around the world because of the military. And um, my mother was always at a very strong hand. And after she passed away and dad was on his own, I could see why she did. But uh, it was just, their, their story is just, um, I didn't think much about it. But now that they're gone and I'm older, I can understand why God brought them together. They, they, it, was, it was good. It was good. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe a movie, love story in a movie, love story in a, in a um, fable. Nothing? Princess Bride's a great love story. It really is. I'll, I'll give ours a shout out <laughs> because everything that we've been through, you know, all the the difficult stuff at the beginning. And I remember, I wouldn't say it was necessarily an argument, but there was a time when we didn't know we were, we were gonna have kids, if we were ever gonna have kids. I desperately wanted children, and Daniel didn't want any. And I remember he told me one time um, that the thing that he could give me is the one thing that he couldn't give me. And that hurt him. And once I realized like how much he was hurting as well, you know, it kind of helped me to begin healing in different areas. And then when it just happened one night and he was just like, I, I think I want to be a dad. And now we have Canna, you know, and that he's given me the ability to, to be a mom, you know, and so I am forever grateful for our love story and that he's, you know, blessed me with becoming a mama and that we get to, we get to have a family. Yeah. Yeah, I still think one of the greatest gifts that God gives, I was about to say a woman, but really it's a man and a woman, is children. Not, not everybody has the opportunity or the ability to have children. And I think... I think we take it for granted sometimes, you know. I think it's um, it's truly a gift. It is a gift from God. That this is this is part of the reason that I just I just hate so much all of the the attacks on babies and children and um, and parents and everything that's going on in our society today. Satan knows that's where the that's where the key to everything is. And um, and he and he hates it. He hates it so bad, and he attacks us with all this stuff. So, All right, <clears throat> so where do you think, if we were going to go into the Bible, where do you think on Valentine's Day we should talk about? Hosea. I mean, yes, but wow, that's a, that's a hard one to go to for me. So you guys understand the story of Hosea, right? Anybody not know? We, I can cap it real quick. Anybody not know the story of Hosea? 
Hosea, God told Hosea to go marry so-and-so. And, um, and uh, he did. And uh, she was prostitute. And she just kept going back to prostitution. Back to, she would, he would go back and marry her again. God told him to. I, that's the part I don't understand. And uh, God told him to go marry her. And he'd go marry her again and bring her back. And go get her and bring her back. Go get her. And, um, and then God says, this is how the church treats me. This is how my people treat me. So, yeah. But an amazing love story from Hosea's point of view. We don't really get Gomer's input, but, but um, yeah, challenging and, and, and a love story all the same. What is, what is the most romantic? Not Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus in a little bit. What is the most romantic biblical story that you know of? Ruth and Boaz. That's a great one. Right? I don't totally understand the go lay at his go lay at his feet so that his feet will be upon you, his feet will touch you. Go lay at his feet. And I know I've heard a bunch of stuff about it's, you know, it's submission, it's um it's the surrendering of herself to him and and he can be you know, in charge of her and the Redeemer, um, all that kind of stuff. I think, and I'm not trying to be crass here, I also think she goes and lays down up against his feet in the middle of the night. He starts thinking, you know, he's got to, right? I mean, that's that's a romantic part of that also, the physical contact, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, another romantic story in the Bible? Allison? Mary and Joseph? You know, she was pregnant and he didn't know. Yeah. That's a, I, that's a um, to me, that's a love story that, that is intertwined with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. How does any of that work unless Jesus being God, coming to human flesh, all that kind of stuff? How does that whole thing work? They both had to have such a deep relationship with God to recognize the impact of that. Their relationship with God, to me, eclipses their relationship with each other because Joseph was just going to dismiss her. All right, send her away. So It didn't start out as a good love story. When she comes to him and says, Joseph, here's the thing, I'm pregnant. But it's okay because it's from God. Uh, that's not a great start to a love story. What about um, what about when Jacob uh, goes to marry um, Rachel, and then he gets Leah? Now this is kind of a bum story for Leah because Jacob makes it very clear he did not want Leah, and that actually has some consistency throughout future too, by the way. But the fact that he stuck in there for another seven years for, for Rachel, right? Now, I didn't realize and for, for a long time, growing up, I read that story. I didn't realize he actually got Rachel right then. 
And then he worked another seven years. I thought, for years, I thought he worked another seven years waiting on Rachel. I'm like, that's some commitment from this guy. But he actually got Leah, married her, and then he said, I'll work another seven years, and he got Rachel right then, too. So, all right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. All right, don't we have to go here? I was, I literally had some Song of Solomon, and I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't, I mean, you could read some verses of Solomon, Solomon, but man, he just, he just crosses the line way too much. Um for this. And here's the thing is you can't really use it as like romantic talk. I've tried. Like you, you take that. You're like, this is, I don't want to read this in public in a mixed crowd, but then it doesn't work in a, you looking in the eyes of your spouse either in reading that stuff. You know, your hair's like corn stalks and it just doesn't work. So, so we'll just go to first Corinthians 13. Let's start in verse four. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't take you long at all to go, huh, I'm not matching up on some of this. You know, I, I, I love Linda to the core of my existence. More than I love myself, I would, I would comfortably give my life for Linda. But here's the thing is when it says um, it's not rude, I, she's been rude to me before. I just have to get that out there. It does not demand its own way. Not just marriage, any relationship. Almost every issue, conflict, or something is because somebody, or most of the time both, are trying to get their own way. Almost a guarantee in marriage, it's, it's you're trying to get your own way. That's why you fight. If you're trying to lift the other one up at all times, it's difficult to fight. Right? The other one really has to work hard. And, I, and it's been done. I've done it. Um, you know, to just be, just be so irritated with life and everything about you that you pick a fight with your spouse... Right? I know I'm not the only person that's ever done that. But, um, but if, you're really, if you're really making sure that you don't, you're not trying to have your own way, most relationships in your life work much, much better. It's when you try to get your own way. Love is not irritable. Wow. Anybody been irritable today? Love is not irritable. I said this Sunday, and I, I, this, is just, this is just truth. The more I keep my eyes on Jesus and the more I try to serve him, the better, Linda, the better spouse Linda is. She's, because she's not changing. I'm the one changing. I don't see her faults as much. I don't see what I perceive to be her faults. Uh, if I just keep my eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how much better everything in my life gets. doesn't mean all things in my life are good, but it's amazing how my perspective changes so much 
that everything is affected in a positive way. Right? Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. I have read that part of that scripture many, many times to couples I've counseled with over the years. Keeps no record of wrong. Guys, let's, let's just own this a little bit here. This isn't just about marriage, right? We know this. Family issues are probably just as strong in this as anything. Is if you're bringing up something that's, that's old, a year, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years old, you're, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one who has the issue. And I've had people say, well, yeah, but we've, we've never dealt with it. It's the same issue. We've never dealt with it. Okay. But Scripture says right here, love keeps no record of being wronged. We're supposed to not be offended. As Christians, we're supposed to not be offended. By people, by sin, we're supposed to be deeply offended. But we're not supposed to be offended by people. But how often are we offended? I, I drove by a guy today. He was here in town. He was in his car, uh, window down. And um, the Beach Boys was playing very loudly in his car. And, uh, and he just, I pull up, my windows were down. And I pull up, we're sitting at a stop sign. And he just starts screaming and cussing and yelling at the guy in front of him. And I didn't see the guy doing anything wrong. He's hollering, him, go, go, what are you waiting on? And then the guy pulls out, and so he comes and just runs the stop sign, basically, and then goes around him, and he's flipping him off and honking and screaming and pulls up. And I'm thinking, I didn't see anything that warranted any of that. But this guy was deeply wronged and deeply offended by this whole thing. And uh, it just kind of got in my head a little bit. I'm like, I... Lord, help me not to, to be that guy. Help me not to go there. It's so easy for us to do that. It does not rejoice about injustice. When, when somebody is hurt, that should not make you happy. You should not enjoy that. And here's a big one, okay? Even when the person that is receiving the injustice is also not a good person, we should still not enjoy it. That's a big one, guys. When we know they're the bad guy in situation or whatever, and they, you know, that, that jerk at work, and they get fired, and you know they probably shouldn't have been fired. They're just a jerk, but they don't deserve to be fired. You shouldn't, you shouldn't revel in that. You shouldn't take joy in that. We could go over examples all night long of this, but you got to be careful when just because you don't like them or... Maybe they have been the arbitrator of injustice. When injustice happens to, to them, be careful because if you're saying something like they deserve it, better be careful with that statement. What do you mean by they deserve it? Because you definitely don't want to get all the things you deserve. Right? That's mercy. God gives us mercy. He does not give us the things we deserve. We have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Right? I, you know, I, I think when, the, when somebody is weaving in and out of traffic and doing all this stuff, I just saw this this morning. 
comes up and he's going in and out of traffic on I-70 down in Denver. And he goes right over and, and realizes right at the last second he is going around a cop in the, in the, uh, sh on the shoulder. <laughs> and the, immediately cop just turns his lights on. And my first reaction is, yeah, that's right, that guy deserves it. He, he did, okay? Obviously, he's, he's breaking the law. He's causing, it's, he's putting people at danger, all this kind of stuff. But um, I've, I've, I don't drive on the shoulder or anything like that. I don't weave in and out of traffic. But I've, I've been speeding before. And, um, and I know people probably thought, I hope that guy gets a ticket. Right? Be careful. Be careful how we look at things. Right? Love does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. I'm so thankful that the Lord never gave up on me. And he still doesn't. He still has a plan for me. He still uses me. Still, still cares about me. Still loves me deeper than I can possibly imagine. Not because I deserve it. And, and the Lord loves you more than you'll ever possibly know. But not because you deserve it. It's because he just loves you. This is literally what we call unconditional love. That he just loves you. No strings attached. He just loves you. I, I'm, I'm, I've always been amazed by that. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Think about this. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages or speaking in tongues and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. When, when does that happen? Because I, this is a theological thing that people get stuck on. Prophecy and speaking in tongues and special knowledge will become useless. When does that happen? When you step into eternity with Jesus. Um, and, and here is the reason. Let me read all the way down. Now our knowledge is partial and complete. Right now we only have partial knowledge and it's incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Well, there's a, a lot of theological teaching and understanding that says that when, it, when, that, when the time of perfection comes, that that is when the Word of God, or what we call the canon, when the Word of God is completed. So the Word of God being perfect, and the Word of God is perfect, but when the time of perfection of the Word of God comes, then we won't need um, prophecy, speaking in tongues, or special knowledge, and things like that. But here's the problem. Verse 9 says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. E even though we have the Bible, our knowledge is still partial and incomplete. The Bible's perfect, but we still are partial and incomplete. And what the very first um, part of um, 1 Corinthians talks about is that we're looking through, uh, we're, it's like we're looking through a hazy glass, a cloudy glass. So what is the perfection that is coming when we don't need prophecy, special knowledge, or speaking in tongues? What's, what's, so the Word of God is perfect, and Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Logos. When Jesus steps into, um, when, when we step into his uh, eternity, 
uh, that's when perfection happens. And then we won't need. We won't need special words of knowledge. We desperately still need them right now. We won't need speaking in tongues. What's, what's the point? One chapter later, what's the point? I can show you right here. Verse 4 of, of 1 Corinthians 14. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Well, you won't need to be strengthened personally because you will be with Jesus. But you do need to be strengthened personally right now. So speaking in tongues is still for today. Um, prophecy. Do we need prophecy today? Yes. We desperately need this stuff. Jesus is what's perfect that does away with the need for those things um, at that time. Pat? <clears throat> what I'm looking forward to is when chaos is gone. And I think that's the whole key. Chaos will be gone and uh, the things that we need, the comforter, uh, what the word of God brings to us for comfort, what the Holy Spirit brings to us for comfort, because of the world we live in, that's all going to be gone. Chaos will be gone. I think that's yeah. what's going to be the main thing. <clears throat> yeah, when Jesus, the light, illuminates and there is no darkness, there is no evil, and there's, we could put about 20 things there. Chaos would definitely be one of those. When there is no longer Satan, sin, evil, all that kind of stuff, well, then you won't need special knowledge. You'll be, you'll be standing right with Jesus. He is perfect. He is the light. He lights up everything. Uh, we won't need to have, you won't need to have somebody with the gift of word of knowledge or prophecy or anything like that because we're standing with the source of that, which is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit also, right? Okay. Um, but when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. I, I feel like, and I don't want to overstate this, because the older you get, the easier it is to look back to the younger generations and, and be critical, right? But I feel like that we're, we're operating as a society, we're operating much more in the realm of childishness than maturity. There were certain things that I could back up when I was a kid and I would watch my, my uh, parents, their generation, watch my grandparents, their generation, that they didn't, they didn't operate with the same mindset that we operate with nowadays. Work ethic is a big one. Personal responsibility. Just shouldering the responsibility and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on my shoulders, I'm going to carry. I'm going to carry what? I'm going to carry whatever it is. Life, these kind of things. And I, I, again, I, I think you have to be careful being too critical of the, of the upcoming generation. But I, I wonder if we were, and I, and I believe this is coming, but if we were forced into a context of, you know, World War II, the greatest generation, how would the modern generation approach that now? I mean, one of the biggest desires and passions of the average 25-year-old is smoking pot. Th this is not the greatest generation. That's not, that's not how they looked at life. It's not how they looked at the world. You know, they're, they're, there's, it's different now. No matter how much we, uh, you know, everybody's always saying, no, it's different now. We see life different. 
Uh, we're seeing through different lenses. There's a lot of things that are just different. Um, even my generation, I've wondered if we were presented with World War II. I mean, my generation did good with Desert Storm and that kind of thing. I, I was in the Navy when Desert Storm happened. I wasn't even called up to go. I never left Texas. I was in the Navy and not a lot of water in Texas. Oceans, anyway. But I think my generation did pretty good there, but it wasn't the World War II mentality. It still was different. Um, it was just different. Still great and heroes and all that kind of but different. I just, I just wonder about these things sometimes. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, again, he says this. Now, we see things imperfectly. Paul, Paul has this theme consistently through his writings, how we look at things, right? Now we see these things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. See, we're still on the partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. How, how, how can faith last forever? Do we need faith when we step into eternity with God? I think it depends on how you define faith. I think the church gets a little confused. It's not totally, but I think the church gets a little confused when we're looking at the concept of faith. I think if we're not careful, we turn faith into believing that God can do something. We don't necessarily need that kind of mentality, but I don't necessarily think that's really what faith is. I think true faith will lead to that mentality, but I think true faith is not believing in God or believing he can do something or whatever the case is. I think faith is really just believing God. This is who God is, and I'm all in. That's faith. We're going to need that for eternity. God is the all and all forever, and we will constantly be being, have that being revealed to us and, be, and understanding that. I don't think we ever get to the, the, the sentence above it says, and when we get, but, but then I will know, and this is step in eternity, then I will know everything completely. And, I, and, and I've had people explain this, and I don't think this is right, that when we get to Heaven, we're going to know everything like God knows it. I don't think we're ever, ever, ever going to be able to get to that place. God's too big. We're going to be complete, new bodies, new, new um, uh, existence in Christ. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be complete. But I don't think that we know everything like God knows everything. I always get, this is where, where it's proved to me, I think, in Scripture, in Isaiah 6, angels are flying around the Lord. The, the, heavens, the curtains of heaven open, and, and um, Isaiah looks, and he sees, into the, to the, he, he sees the glory of the Lord. In fact, actually what he sees is God passes by, and he sees the after effect of God, the afterglow. That's where we got that term. When I was a kid, if you stayed after church and had cookies and coffee, you, that was an afterglow. Anybody beside me remember that? Is that something? I, okay, good. I'm not nuts. So that was afterglow. They got that from Isaiah 6, where they got that from. We were going to be in the afterglow. And it was really just like cookies and coke, you know. But 
There's enough for me. But the, the idea that Isaiah didn't even really see God, he just sees theatrical. But it, but, it's, but it talks about the angels are flying around the Lord. I don't know how you do that first. How do you fly around somebody that is everywhere? Right? But this is visualization for us as limited humans, I think, is what God is doing there. And it says that the angels are flying around the Lord. And, uh, and all they ever do, their entire existence, is fly around the Lord, and they, they are shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That was a Trinitarian concept that's probably got overlooked sometimes. Holy God, holy Jesus, holy, holy spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And that's all they do for eternity. When we get to eternity, they're still going to be doing that and they're never going to stop. And here's why I think that's happening is because they never get to the end of the revelation that God is holy. They see one more holy aspect of God. They understand holiness at a deeper level. And they never get to the end of that. And I think it's a little bit human arrogance that thinks when we step into eternity, we're going to be just like God and we're going to know everything he does. You will spend all of eternity and your faith will continue to grow every single day. And guess what? You attach hope to that. Hope is what? That God is... Um, well, so the blessed hope is that God is coming back to get us, right? He is our rescuer, um, the finalization of our redemption. I think that that revelation is what lasts forever for eternity, this continuing hope. Hope is not wishing for something to happen. Hope is realizing that it is happening, okay? We use the word hope as a, as a wish. That's not what it means in Scripture, and so I think we spend the rest of eternity realizing that God is everything he said he is. And, and if you remember, I say this every now and then, I still think the greatest miracle that we're ever going to understand and realize, we have to get past this physical life to see it. The greatest miracle on this physical life is Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting so that we can be saved, so I can be saved. That's so I can get to eternity. But a million years from now, when the angels are still going around God and still seeing more of his holiness and shouting that out and declaring it, I think we will realize that Jesus Christ taking on little limited human flesh as the incarnated in human flesh God, I think we'll recognize as the greatest miracle. Because why? He is so majestic. He is so powerful. He is so everything that our faith will continue to grow for all of eternity. And our hope will be realized forever. And then he says the third thing is love. We will recognize that love is the basis of this. Can you imagine actually stepping into the presence of Jesus and recognizing his love firsthand? Feeling it, knowing it, rationalizing his love firsthand? Not, not separated and limited with sin and, and, and our eyes being scaled over or something, whatever it is. Maybe you've never thought about this, but your eyes, my eyes, our eyeballs, 
were created to see God. Our eyeballs were created to see the angels. But we can't see them right now. They're here. We know according to Scripture they're right here right now. If we were Elijah's servant, Elijah would say, God, open his eyes, help him to see. And there would be angels surrounding us right now, big flaming swords, and, and all of them, you know, look like Aquaman. I mean, I, they, but on fire, you know, that's, our eyes were created to see that. But our eyes, twisted, perverted by sin, can't see it. We can't see God. When we step into the presence of Jesus, we will see love at a level we cannot even rationalize right now. And then he says, and this is why the greatest of this is love. You're going to be, your faith is going to be growing. Your hope is going to be being realized. And your love will be being perfected constantly. Forever. A million years from now, a billion years from now, you will realize then more that Jesus loves you. And then the next day, you're going to realize more, if there's day like that, Jesus loves you. Guys, can you, can you imagine the depth of that? We're so small and so limited and so human, and Jesus is doing everything he can just to let us know he loves us. Just to let us know. And... And then, and, and I'm not picking on us too much with this, okay? We're all in the same camp with this. And then we get frustrated with God. We get irritated with God. We feel like he's not treating us right. Why is this happening or this not? You know, we, we do the David lamenting mentality, right? Why, why is everybody else being blessed and I'm not? Why are my enemies gaining? I'm, I'm telling you, I go through this way too much in my world right now. Why are my inner enemies um, prospering? And I don't mean money. But at the end of the day, and this is part of what my sermon is for Sunday, but Jesus really is the winner. And every single person is going to bow before him someday. That's the reality. And when we bow before him, you know the biggest thing we're going to um, sense and realize and know is not his judgment, which is, which is quickly about to happen at that point, but it's his overwhelming love. And that's going to last forever. Right? As you can go to bed at night going, I think I can, I think I can do this another day. I think, I think maybe I should love him back more. Right? Doesn't that stir in your heart somewhere? I could try a little harder. Right? All right, let's pray. And um, was this a good Valentine's Day for anybody? Was it? During our sign language class earlier, Linda was here. She's part of the team that's learning. And um, I just picked on her through most of the class. She, she was getting really irritated with me. She did ask for a new partner. And I can't tell you 
How warm and fuzzy that makes me feel. She knows this too, but just, uh, I think literally, and, and some of you, if you don't have this dynamic, I know you don't understand it, whatever. I don't care. I love picking on her. I so much love that. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for just loving us. Jesus, you just love us so much. Help us to respond. Help us to love you back with everything we are. God, help us to love you back with our, our heart and our mind and our time and our energy, with our life. Lord, with our resources, with our gifts, our abilities that you've given us, the uniqueness that is us, help us to love you back with that, to worship you out of love. With no expectation of return, Lord, we just love you. Help us to go there more and more every day. And Lord, we just want, we just want you to be the center of our world. God, when we start getting our eyes off, of you and start looking toward other things, God, just convict us and just draw us right back in. We thank you for being so patient with us, for continuing year after year after year after year to give to us and to bless us and to take care of us. God, when we, when we definitely don't deserve that, but you just do that. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for loving our church. Thank you for loving Colorado Springs. Thank you for loving our state. Thank you for loving our country and giving yourself to every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. Bye-bye.